You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Cripple Content Creations and Podcast Jukebox present Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between. This is a show that started out only talking about sex and disability. It was a podcast that was dedicated to exploring the ins and outs of sex and disability because we don't talk about that hardly at all. But as the show has grown, I realized that Disability After Dark could shine a light on so many other things about disability we don't talk about, and that was really exciting. So, now, this show is a show that will shine a light on the experience of disability, whether we're talking about sexuality, accessibility, or anything and everything in between. Come shine a bright light on all things disability with me, your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie, if you want, for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag, and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com, 
you're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in dark pod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout. And you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store at 50% off. And then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free as part of your offer. This is such a great deal. And this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners. And I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. My name is Andrew Gerza. I am your host and disability awareness consultant and critical content creator, Andrew Gerza. Get ready to shine a big bright light on disability, sexuality, and everything in between on this brand new episode. Get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and let's get started. First things first, I want to thank some people who pledged to the Patreon for the show, and that is the thing that you can pledge to to help keep a bright light shining on these issues around disability, sexuality, and everything in between. And you can pledge between $1 a month and $5 a month to get a shout-out um, on the air, an awkward shout-out, and you get the shows also one day early before release day. And if you pledge $5 a month, you get to build a show with me. And so I want to just give a shout-out to somebody who pledged $5 a month for the Build a Show episode, and that's James Geiger, who pledged $5 a month. You are a... You... you your pledge is like a geyser in my heart. Thank you for your pledge, James Geiger. Uh, and you will be able to do a show with me. I'm not sure at the time of this recording if we've decided on that or not, but we will. We have been and will continue to be in touch as we figure out an episode for you to do. If you want to pledge to the show and get an awkward shout-out like that and uh, get the shows one day early or be able to build a show with me, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge between $1 and $5 a month, whatever you're able to do. I appreciate that. I also appreciate the individuals who can only pledge for some time and then have to stop pledging. I really appreciate that too because sometimes money is tight and I get that. So whatever you can do to help keep this show going, it means the world. And if you can't pledge, tell your friends about it. Tell people about the show. Talk about it on social media. Get it out there so people at least hear the show. Whatever you can do, if you can't pledge, then I totally support that too. So thank you to everyone who's made this show go in one way or the other. I'm recording this a few weeks early, but just so you know, by the time this comes out, it'll be October 24th. And it'll almost be time for our November Minnesota episode. So if you want to tell me a story about your disability experience, you want to talk about um, how disability feels for you or whatever prompts I gave you on the, the October Minnesota, which I don't, which I haven't recorded yet, whatever prompts come in there, send in your stories to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. I do... At the time of this recording, I haven't decided, but I do want to do stuff on the medical care system and your experiences in the medical care system 
So let's make it that for the November episode. Let's do your experiences in the medical care system. So if you want to send in a Minnesota for that, send a Minnesota to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Write a letter, write a story. You can be anonymous. You don't have to be, you don't have to say who you are. And we will, I will read the stories back to you and speculate wildly and talk about the issues you raise. So for Minnesota 28, I want you to tell me your stories about your experiences in the hospital as a disabled person or as a chronically ill person. Tell me the time that a doctor was a dickhead. Tell me the time that a doctor did actually did something to help you as a disabled person. Tell me those stories, whatever they are, and let's get it in for the next Minnesota. I just had a pretty wild thought. Are you a disabled doctor? Well, let's have that discussion. If you're a disabled doctor, write in your stories about being a disabled doctor. Tell me that process. I want to hear all those things. Tell me that. So Minnesota 28 is about all about medical medical care for the next one. So it'll, it, at the time that this comes out, you'll have, you'll have some time to, to send some stuff in still. But all, you will have heard all about the Minnesota in, in all about this upcoming Minnesota in the last Minnesota. I'm rambling now. But yeah, send in your hospital things to me for the Minnesota to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. And now, on to today's episode, which I am so excited to share with you. Because this person, I, they, I tried to get them on the show for like literally six months. And I kept having to cancel because of disability stuff. And then they had to cancel because of disability stuff. And so our kink literally was canceling with each other for like six months and rescheduling the appointment and trying to trying to move it along and finally get it happening. And finally, in the summer, we had this conversation and it was amazing. And I wanted to wait to release it because I loved it so much. And um, let me tell you all about my guest today. My guest on the show today is Army veteran and boot black and BDSM with disabilities connoisseur Jeff Millard. He is, he, we have this really amazing conversation about his experience in the war, how he became disabled because of war, which I thought was really powerful because typically when we talk about disability and becoming disabled, we talk primarily about an accident, a car accident. Um, spinal cord injury, stuff like that. We never really discuss the reality of becoming disabled because of war, and Jeff does a deep dive for us into that, that experience for him. And then he talks about how kink and the kink community has helped him to embrace his disability and how being a disabled boot black has been really sexy for him. We flirt for a lot of the time. It's a really powerful and important conversation, I think, Jeff Millard is one of my favorite guests of the series ever. Um, somebody that I just, as we were talking, I kept having to stop and say, oh, no, I have, to, I have to ask him a question now because he was so engaging and mesmerizing and it was just like, I just wanted to sit and listen to him talk and tell me stories the whole time about his experiences of being a boot black and his experiences in the war and also like kind of what turned him on sexually because... He just has a really engaging way of telling all that stuff. So it was a really powerful conversation, um, one that I was proud to do, and I'm proud to share with you. So, without further ado, here is my interview with disabled Army veteran and boot black Jeff Millard. 
right now on Disability After Dark. Jeff Millard, hello. Hi, how's it going? Hi, I'm so excited to finally have you on Disability After Dark. You are <laughs> such a patient guest. We have been planning this for, I swear to goodness, like five months. Um, so I'm so happy to finally have you here. Hi. It's great. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure. I was excited by you when I, I stumbled on one of your tweets one day or something, or somebody had retweeted you. <laughs> Yeah, I, which is funny because I don't have many followers on Twitter, and um, I purposely don't give out my Twitter uh, when I do stuff because to me it's like a lot of screaming into the wind, and then somebody yells back, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is a public platform. kind of <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, Twitter can be kind of a dumpster fire of like, I have a thought. Here it is. Yeah, um, it's it's usually pretty random for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't, I'm not sure how I stumble on you. But it was definitely on that forum, and then I started looking up your stuff, and I was like, I need to talk to this person, because they're disabled, and they're doing leather, and that's really cool, and something we don't see a lot of, and so I'm just excited to, I'm really excited to chat with you today. Um, yeah. Thank you. Really excited, and also because you're kind of hot, so there's that too. <laughs> um, Thank you. So, uh, can you introduce yourself, who you are, and what you do for us today? Yeah, so my name is Jeff Millard. I am a leatherman. I'm a bootblack. I'm a husband. I'm a lot of different things. Um, but I think the the two big things that you wanted to talk to me uh, for was that I'm a disabled veteran of the Iraq War, and uh, I do a lot of kinky leather sex, and I do a lot of it publicly. <laughs> Amazing. I maybe am a little bit excited right now as you said that. Maybe just a little good, bit. Good. Um, I'm glad. Uh, so <laughs> let's start with what kind of, how do you identify as disabled? Uh, I, uh, to me have both physical and mental health disabilities, uh, that are for the most part invisible. And so I, I identify as a, um, as a disabled combat veteran. I think that's one of my, one of my many, but there's kind of some core identities to me that I've, uh, and developed over the years, and that I think is one of the the most central to who I am. So, uh, so you would you say that you became disabled? Yeah. Uh, so I was born with no disabilities that I know of, right? Uh, and then over the course of thirteen months in Iraq, uh, I describe my job as, as it's basic. It was basically like an office job, but only at my office we got mortared a whole bunch, like multiple times every day. <laughs> Oh, no. And that's where my injuries stem from. So I never did the kinds of things that people think of in combat. I wasn't out kicking down doors, like, uh, or um, you know, getting in firefights or stuff like that. It was really all what we called indirect fire. And then slowly over time, you know, I was having issues and I was going to the hospital for it. And they started me off diagnosing me with the most superficial kind of. Uh, things that they could like um, for a long time they blamed the pain that I have in my legs uh, on uh, on uh, IT band syndrome which is like something that runners get and turns out that it it's way more complicated than that that I had you know problems in the knee problems in the hip and problems in my spine and they were kind of combining to cause the leg pain that doctors were uh, it, the doctors that I had in Iraq were just kind of chalking up to, to this like runners uh, uh, thing 
that happens. And so when I went to Iraq, I went to Iraq as somebody who was a, a college wrestler. Uh, I was in great shape. And then, you know, I spent 13 months in combat and that, uh, that then I came home and it was, it was kind of like overnight for a lot of things in my life. There's the kind of before the war period of my life and the after the war period of my life. And I came home and all of a sudden I had all these disabilities. I have, I think it's 13. My number might be off by a little bit, but it's somewhere around that area. It's definitely in the teens uh, that are disabilities that are recognized by the VA that were caused from the war. Wow. Can you list them? Sure. So I have, I have pretty bad arthritis in my hands and in actually most of the joints of my body. I have knee issues in both of my knees, hips. Uh, I have a spinal cord injury. Uh, I, I have a traumatic brain injury, which has a lot of symptoms to that. Then I also have post-traumatic stress disorder. I have uh, hearing damage, but technically it's not hearing damage in the traditional sense that like, there's nothing wrong with my hearing. It's a, a byproduct of my brain injury that I can't differentiate sounds when they come in. So, uh, and my disability, some days they're really bad. Other days they're not as bad. And so like I catch a lot of flack from some people cause they'll, they'll see me like walking with a cane one day and then not another. And they're like, Oh, how come you don't have the cane today? And I really usually don't even want to get into it, but it might be that, Hey, my pain might not be so high that day. Or it's a day where my hands hurt from my arthritis so bad that I can't hold the cane. Yeah. And so I'm not using it. So I'm choosing to favor my hands over my legs, you know, or, or things like that. Um, and you just ran into an issue that I have in my TBI that I completely forgot what we were talking about. So I'm going to need a reminder. That's good. We were talking about, <laughs> you were, you were listing for me the, the disabilities you have and, Oh, I, I, I hope I got through them. I think, I think there you... might be more, like I've got also, uh, I don't know if I mentioned, I've got some lung issues, uh, from some chemicals I was exposed to on a station in Kuwait, just stuff like that, you know? I like how you're like so nonchalantly like I have lung issues from chemicals in Kuwait. Just you know, that's a rant. <laughs> a nonchalant. Like, because like among my my friends that uh, I served with and that I got to know in I, I worked in the in, in the realm of veteran politics for a long time in the policy uh, world, and I'm one of the lucky guys. You know, I'm one. I'm a person who does have good days where I can go out and walk around. Uh, I still get to practice martial arts and even though i have to do it in an adapted fashion i know guys who can't dream of that uh i know a lot of my friends have died already uh you know one of my closest friends thomas young who was shot uh, i think five times and had three bullets still in him when he died um you know he he and i would joke around about it and like we always consider ourselves kind of part of some of the lucky ones because a lot of our friends didn't come home at all and so like and life as you know life with a disability isn't what the tv makes it right it's not yeah. like uh you know my life isn't worth living just because i have some disabilities like my life is incredibly worth living and it's incredibly valuable and you know that the kind of pop culture idea that like oh i would kill myself if i had to go through what you go through well i think i'm pretty lucky i haven't killed myself yet i've had three suicide attempts and i'm still here so to me, it's kind of lucky and it's, it's, it is easy to just go. Yeah. Cause that's just my life. And it's not like, you know, there's, there's nothing special about it. It just goes on. Well, I'm really, that, that was, that was a lot of information in one go. Thank you for being <laughs> so vulnerable and open. Um, first of all, I want to, I want to thank you for being here because 
being in combat is something that I will I will never experience. I I will never know what that feels like. So I can only empathize and say yeah. thank you. So I mean, if I if I if I had my way, no one else would. Uh, it's something that I I wish I wish the world would figure out a way to uh, to end war because it's 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 not something anybody should really go through. To be honest with you, no, it's. I think it's a political thing, and all the people that are waging these wars never go, never go and do them. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see who starts the wars and who fights them. You know. Yeah. So I mean, it's an ex- it's an experience that, I mean, we always talk about disability in war, but it's. I think you're the first person in the three years of me doing the show, where I've actually talked to the person who's who because of war has become. Disabled. Yeah, and so it's, it's also in a way, like I said, I, I say that I'm the, a lucky one in a way, in another way too, because uh, I was actually just at a really good friend of mine's house uh, uh, on Saturday night for his birth, 40th birthday party, and we were up to like four in the morning, just you know, shooting the shit and telling war stories and stuff, and and uh, we were talking about how, oh damn it, I just dropped it and lost what I was talking about. Shit, you were your friend, what did you say just before that? You were your friend's place. And we were doing yeah, but what? And I said, I said, you know, what? What did I say? Good oh, good. oh, I get it now. Sorry, it came back. Uh, it, it's that like you know we're lucky that we got injured in war because if I would have gotten these same in, same exact injuries would be very possible from like a car accident, right? And from my my physical to my mental health issues, almost all of them could have happened in in a simple car accident. But if that happened financially, I wouldn't be able to own the house that I own. I used my VA home loan to buy a house uh, with my polyamorous family, and I, uh, I I get a check every month from uh, the VA that helps me live, and I get a check from Social Security. And if I if I hadn't gotten hurt in the way that I did, I wouldn't have any of that. Um, and it to me, it, it it's really made me acutely aware of. Uh, of God. it's weird to say it, but it's kind of like we, we, there's veteran privilege as much as, you know, it, it's hard sometimes for me to use that wording because like veterans are so much more likely to die early. We're so much likely to have adverse health effects. We're so much more likely to have disabilities. There, there's a lot of um, risk factors to being a veteran, right. but in the world of disabilities, there is this veteran privilege that no one questions my disabilities except for if they do it for political reasons. And I'll leave that aside because I was one of the early members of Iraq Veterans Against the War, and there are a lot of websites out there dedicated to hating me, including saying that I'm not really a veteran and I wasn't really injured in the war and all this other thing. Wow, people are assholes. Yeah, but other than that, right, nobody on my day-to-day life questions my disabilities, right? When I have to cancel plans because uh, I have a PTSD issue or, you know, when I, uh, my back hurts too much to get out of bed and I have to cancel plans. I, I feel like I get a lot, um, a lot more forgiveness from the general public because it's like, Oh, he's a veteran. And so it, it's almost like my disabilities come with like more legitimacy or whatever from the like outside world. And like that, that does have its advantages, to it you know and so, so there, there is a privilege there yeah i mean and i i'm really happy you said that because because most people don't understand that even if you're disabled you still have privilege and like 
Yeah, I mean, it's this it's this kind of weird world of intersectionality where in some ways I'm super privileged and in other ways, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm privileged in the sense that I can some days go upstairs, but if there's not a ramp at some places, there's days where I can't get in, right? And so the, it's complicated and it's the intersection of being like, yes, I'm a cis white guy, but I'm also hella queer and I, I have disabilities and like, so it, I think that we're much more um, we're much more complicated as human beings, and the the life and the world that we live in is super complicated, and it's not easily, uh, you know, just boiled down to like one or two uh, sound bites or whatever, you know. No, definitely not. I think that disability is so nuanced, and again, this is a whole part of it that I've never really explored. Talking to somebody who who acquired their disability from war, um, I did want to ask you that. Do you? Are you mad that you that you became disabled because of the war? Like, does that piss you off? I was. I spent a long time being angry, and a lot of my activism with the Iraq veterans against the war and and my political activism for years came from that anger. And it wasn't until I came out of the closet that a lot of the anger kind of I was able to let a lot of that go and embrace a lot more love in my life. And now that I, I came out when I was 30, so that's about eight years ago, almost nine years ago now. And my life is just so much better because I live with this radical outness. And, and when things do anger me, I've learned a lot more skills over the years of how to deal with that. You know, when I first got back from Iraq, every day I was blowing up and I was punching walls. I was the stereotype of an uh, angry young white male veteran. Like I was, I was literally a stereotype. And it took a lot of work, and sometimes that still comes out. When when I didn't win at IMBB, I really failed to understand how that would affect my mental health, and then I, I was pretty embarrassed at the outburst that I had afterwards and things like that. Like, it still affects me, but I've learned a lot more tools in my tool belt to deal with my, especially the mental health disabilities, and I'm just, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with who I am, and. I can hold myself accountable and not be happy with behavior sometimes, but understand and and be kind to myself in understanding that like sometimes it it wasn't my choice to to feel or or act in certain ways, and 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 there's a there's this kind of mix between accountability but on and but handling myself with with the care that I didn't when I had all that anger and I've learned. Um, to treat myself with a kind of kindness that I treat uh, and that I strive to treat other people with. I think that that kindness is kind of the key to, to the world at this point for me. And I, that's such a cool way of putting it. And I think for disabled people just generally, finding a way to love ourselves is really hard. Weird. Yeah, I mean, the world tells us that like, you know, before before I got injured, I had the six pack abs and I would never have described myself as a bear. And now, uh, you know, not only can't I do all the physical things that I used to, the running and all the other stuff, but I can't do basic stuff around the house some days. And and this, you just have to treat yourself with a level of kindness that, that we're not trained to do that. You know, we're not trained to, to say, all right, you're still a good person. Just because you had to cancel plans doesn't mean you're not a good person or like these things. We're trained to like hate ourselves over yeah. our disabilities. Totally, and I made a joke on. I make. I'm kind of making this running joke on social media right now that canceling plans is my kink. 
because I do it so often with my disabilities that like you should you should uh, flag for it with like a broken cell phone or like a cut cable cord. <laughs> People yeah. in the leather community who understand flagging that'll be a funny joke for them. Everybody else is like, "What's flagging?" Yeah, I know. I I totally I definitely should flag for that because because it, it literally is my kink of like canceling yeah. plans at the last minute. Um, I mean, it happens. It happens so much, and I I think that we don't we're not you're right we're not taught to be kind to ourselves so yeah and we're also not taught to like see that in somebody else that like oh this this has nothing to do with me right like um if i cancel plans tonight that doesn't say anything bad about the person i'm canceling plans with it's just saying something about me and like we tend to take it personal of like this person has canceled on me three times well that's not a reflection of their want or desire to be around you uh it's especially if they keep trying to make the plans this is just their life that gets in the way and we have lives that sometimes get in the way yeah i mean to put it in perspective i canceled this this podcast that we're recording right now (laughs) at least (laughs) at least six or seven times so like but like it that's it happens right like i can't i can't control what my body does in a day you can't control what yours does and like sometimes shit don't work out and it's okay and I mean, I think, you know, that's why I, I really am already enjoying sitting down with you because we're able to, like, understand each other on a level that I think when you're talking to a non-disabled person, you have to, like, constantly prove your worth to them and prove that if something happens that you're still worthy. Um, yeah. But with disabled- I, I find that a lot in the fact that I don't work, um, yeah. that I don't have employment, that a lot of people who don't have disabilities value or, or, or judge people on their worth and value by what they do for a living yeah. or, and if they're working. And like, that is, that's something that also like part of the reason why I don't work is because I can't like, I cancel stuff all the time too, because that's just, it's part of having these, these disabilities. So I just, I try and understand that like, Hey, you're having a bad day. That has nothing to do with me. I can still smoke a bowl and watch some doctor who, and I'm all good. You know? Why don't we live closer? I already want to be your best friend. Um, you actually live really close to where I grew up. Really? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Oh, you're so we're so close to each other. <laughs> well, if you yeah. ever want to take a road trip up here, come. My up. husband and I are actually planning on some time during his title year because we can stop and see my mom and then head up into Canada to see some friends. Well, then let's. I'll get so. there. Yeah, we should be in T dot at some point this year. We don't know when though. All right, we should let well let's let's we'll talk about this off the air. But yes, okay. we'll hang out. Let's hang out. Um, tell me more. So tell me a little bit more about how, like give me your day to day. So how if you from getting up to going to bed, how does your disability impact your day? Um, it I'd say the biggest reason now after all these years is that I've learned to just let the day be what the day is. Right. So there's some days where I'm in a tremendous amount of pain and I can't move. And I just let that day be what it is. I cancel everything else and I don't do anything. So um, I've learned to just kind of let my body be. I I just learned to kind of be okay with what my body is going to do. Right. And I can't, I don't have any control over it. So I don't try and control it. And I just lean into it. If I'm having a bad day, I take a step back and just let myself have a bad day. That includes like if my my depression, right? If I'm having a bad day, I just kind of let it be a bad day. I put on a sad movie, I'll chill in bed all day, I'll eat a tub of ice cream, 
And like, so that's you're just winning what the all day the, is. You're winning all the friendship vibes. Like again, <laughs> why don't we live closer? I want to do all these right. things with you. This is what I want to do. Yeah. So like, but my days are, are really, they're, they're my own at this point. Right. So some days I literally can't get out of bed. Other days I am chomping to get on the jujitsu mat and practice Brazilian jujitsu. And there's some days where I'm able to go out and I can go for a drive and other days where I can't, you know, today's pretty rainy. So my hands have been bad. So I, I can't cook today. Right. Um, so there's, but, but it's also like two days before my VA paycheck. So I'm completely broke. Right. So certain days are, are, um, are harder than others, but I just kind of, I try and just accept that. Right. You know, if that you, makes sense. Do you think this is like, did it, and you talked a bit earlier about how like you would get upset a lot. Did it, what kind of tools did you use to come to a place of acceptance? Uh, I so I, I started practicing mindfulness about three years ago, maybe four years ago when, um, I was out with my husband and I had, I got my PTSD got pretty triggered and I started driving just horribly dangerously aggressively slamming on brakes going up to 90 miles an hour in in the streets of san francisco like just really really reckless behavior um and it it when i saw the fear in my husband's face that kind of it, it was kind of how I, I hear some addicts talk about rock bottom for me that was kind of like rock bottom of like oh my god i i'm I'm scaring my, the person that I love more than anybody else in the world is afraid of me right now. And so in my, and I've done so many different kinds of, spe of therapy, especially for my PTSD, like I've done a lot of different stuff and nothing really worked. And then I, I was talking to this doctor, uh, at the VA in San Francisco and it, it really changed the course of how I was treating myself. And she suggested trying mindfulness and the way that she described it was imagine you're a fish and your problems are fishermen who are out there in their boats and if instinctually we want to take the bait we want to grab the and then but then we bite the hook and everything gets worse from there right and the way that she described mindfulness to me was that you'll be able to see the hooks it's not that they're not there it's not that they're not dangerous but you can see them and not bite. And now I try, especially with my PTSD, it's not that my symptoms necessarily got better, it's that I don't bite the hook and make it worse, or at least I try not to, right? Every once in a while I still do. But a few years ago, you know, I had that issue with my husband and I saw the fear in his eyes and I never wanted to be a person whose spouse was afraid of them, right? I grew up around a lot of violence in my household and I, I just, I hated the idea that my husband was physically afraid of me. And that kind of snapped me too. And like, I, I decided to really pour myself into figuring this out. And I don't think I'm better. Like last night I had horrible PTSD nightmares and I've been up since 7 a.m. because of that. Um, but it doesn't, I, those hooks are still there. I just don't bite down on them. I don't chase that, you know, and... I have no idea what we're talking about now, so I hope I answered your question. You did, you did totally. Okay, um, cool. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on to the next question. But thank you again so much for being so candid with me today. Um, 
So I wanted to ask you, Jeff, we talk so much about kink, so much about kink, and we rarely, rarely put it in the context of disability. Can you share with us how disability and kink work together yeah. for you? Well, first of all, I want to say that in the in my leather community that I'm a part of, a lot of us have disabilities. We just don't talk about it, right? They're not they're, they're not disclosed or things like that. But I think a lot of the folks, at least in my kind of leather and kinky circles, have disabilities that they're they're also you know working with. And so um, I've been lucky in that way because I've been taught a lot of adaptations for things that I've been able to. But for me personally, what I like about kink, and I've always been kinky. I'll tell you, my first sexual memory was with usually when I tell the story, I tell his name, but I'm not going to because it's public. Uh, I remember myself at four years old in a neighborhood boys garage and we were jerking off together and pouring candle wax on my dick. So I've always been a kinky fucker. That's my first sexual memory. I can clearly remember it. And my first sexual memory at all. And so I know I've always been kinky, but now with my disabilities, my kink, is obviously impacted that because my entire life is and it's really helped me um play with them right so for example uh i have a lot of back pain issues right right and i get massages for it and i get these things that that the medical i have a tens unit all this other stuff that uh creams and patches wow, and all I that right uh-huh this... but i also use flogging like a good flogging will relax my back better than a two-hour massage will right the muscles just melt away and relax in a way that they that the tens unit can't get them to do that the creams and the patches and the heat pads and all the other stuff that can't relax my back away but a flogging will right um the other thing i like about kink as a person with ptsd is that when you're when i'm in a scene I have to be there a hundred percent mentally in the moment and very present, which is really difficult for people with PTSD, especially with people with PTSD and a traumatic brain injury. Though when those when the Venn diagram of those overlap, those of us in that, we have a really hard time being staying present in anything. And that's why I love Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and that's why I love kink, is in those worlds, you can't let your mind wander or else someone will get hurt really badly and you can get hurt really badly. And I think that the pressure of that in a way, uh, especially since I do like a lot of edge play, that that pressure of that focuses me in a way that I don't see elsewhere. And it it really helps me deal with some of the issues around my PTSD and my TBI. Um, But there's lots of stuff like that, right? Like, um, you know, whether that is being hit and having that release of that, whether it's feeling in control of something, a lot of times I don't feel in control of my body. I don't feel in control of my mind, but I can control that single tail and just reaching it out there and lightly tapping the bottom with it at the start of our scene. And by the end, I'm whipping that person bloody. And in that moment and in that with that leather, I'm very present. Uh, in a, and I'm in control of something that I'm usually not in control of. And I like that. But there's like there's play that I can't get into because of my disabilities, right? Like like rope play. Rope play challenges a lot of my disabilities at once and I get overloaded and I shut down. So like uh, I would love to get into rope play. I think uh, Shabari is beautiful and I love the way it looks. And I'm a big voyeur of rope. But whenever I've tried it myself, it it 
it triggers too many of my my disabilities at once and i just i get overloaded with it whereas if i can use kink to kind of target one thing like flogging does with my back pain or or some of the other kinks that i use that can really you know really sharply focus in on one thing that i'm struggling with and it helps me to kind of deal with that one thing in that one moment wow that's awesome that was like a really awesome answer and some of the stuff you said i'm gonna just remember that for a long time so that was that was great um thank you you have a very engaging like interview presence you should do (laughs) you should do a podcast Um, yeah i'm not regular enough that's my problem with podcasting i i do like one episode every six months (laughs) or like do 10 episodes in a week and then not do any more for like a year that would be my you that's know, my people, problem. People, the way people do podcast, people would listen to that anyway. What I'm saying is, you have like, yeah. a, you have like a very podcastable voice. You should consider oh, thank you. something with somebody. Um. Uh. So, how does your you also do boot blocking, which yes. can you explain for the for the audience who might not know what that is? What it is. So, boot blocking is a very old term, and I want to start with that. And that um, every person who is a boot block self identifies it differently. And so when I talk about boot blocking, I can only talk about how I view it and not what it is in a a kind of greater sense because there's so much diversity and opinion on what a boot black is. For me personally, a boot black is the erotic, uh, erotification of, uh, of leather care, right? For me, it has an erotic component. I, I very much believe that, especially where we are in the leather community, which are the sexual outlaws, which are the sexual rebels, and the heart of the leather community really is sex. And while there's a lot that has built upon that, when it when you boil away everything else from the leather community, we're perverts who want to fuck each other. And as a boot black, part of my being a pervert is, oh, I want to touch your boots. I want to put your boot on my chest. I want to feel what it's like when you stand on me. I want, I want you to, I want to be able to rub your legs through that boot as I'm putting the conditioner on. Um, I want to be able to put the conditioner on my beard and condition those leather pants or those leather chaps. I want to be able to uh, take that 20 minutes that we get with each other and make it its own standalone scene in a world that doesn't allow us to connect with other people, especially kinky people, especially queers. And that 20 minutes that I get you in my stand, I want you to walk away either having just came in your pants or uh, or ready to come in any second. Speaking of ready to come, I think you have me there right now, just from, <laughs> from that little description. Wow. Um, so how does your how does your various disabilities impact your ability to, to be a boot black? I think the biggest thing is that I can't work like as a shoe shine at an airport or something like that because I can't regularly be able to show up at anything. Uh, also with my hands that that tends to impact it. I learned a lot of boot blacking uh, workarounds. And one of the things that really supercharged my the eroticism in my boot blacking was trying to think of, well, my hands aren't working that great today, but I got this boot black shift. What other body parts can I use to apply product or wipe product off or, you know, work product into the leather? 
what else can I use? And so that led me down the road of using my beard and using my arms in different ways, using my legs, um, using my ass, putting the oil on my ass and using that and lap dancing somebody uh, who's maybe pants I'm doing or something like that. And it, it really kind of, it made me look at boot blacking through a little bit different lens. And one person I, I should say was super influential in that is a boot black. Her name is Missy Boots. She's a former international Miss Boot Black. And she taught a class a few years ago at International Miss Leather, International Miss Boot Black competition called, uh, I, I'm, I might get the title wrong, and I'm sorry, Miss V, if you're listening to this, but uh, she taught this class about boot black is jazz. And it it just blew my mind because she was so right because jazz musicians are master musicians. And I am a person who has a love for jazz. So I got it. I got exactly what she was saying as soon as she started the class because jazz musicians are masters. They, they know their scales and they know how they know their instruments back and forth and then they know all the rules. So then they can play with the rules. And I don't say break the rules because I don't think jazz breaks rules. I think it just plays with the rules. And now, once you once you know all the rules, now you it's all uh, um, it's all adaptation. It's it's all just riffing on something. And so is boot blacking. Once you know what products do what and what leather needs and, and what you want to do with it, then after that, it's time to improvise. And then that's where that jazz improvisation comes from. And then you add the sexuality to it. Like a lot of jazz to me is so sexual and all of a sudden my boot black scene is just it could be coming out of you know the horn of a miles davis or a john coltrane and and that sexiness and that that danger and and that uh that that specialness that made jazz really sexy makes boot blacking really sexy and i don't have to follow anyone's rules so now i'm leaning into the 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 leather uh um outlaw spirit in that you know when when the folks who started the leather scene started it it was illegal to do what we did and in some places it's still very much illegal to do what we do and that kind of coolness and there's a reason why the leather jacket is cool right and to me jazz and boot blacking and that sexuality and that 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 hotness comes from the fact that once you know the rules you can play with them so I can play with the rules. Once I know the rules of flogging, now I put on uh, uh, Bertha Cool and I have this rhythm that I can flog to. Once I know the rules of how to play with a violet wand, now I can bring over my knife kit and start to do electrified knife play. Once I understand all that, so so Miss V or, or Missy Boots, she goes by both, uh, when she kind of gave that class, it freed me up in a real big way. And I have to give her a lot of credit for it. Uh, and now the way that I boot black is very much like, I don't, I don't do it like anybody else. And I think that no two boot blacks work the same, but for me, it's a lot of what can we do in this, this 20, 30 minutes that we get together? What can we, what can we do in the confines of, or if it's at a bar, if it's at a play party and I'm naked, what can, what can we do with each other in those moments? Right. Um, and to me, that's how I boot black. That's my boot blacking persona and philosophy. And I do it very much as the same daddy that I am in my other play. I bring that. I don't boot black as a submissive. I boot black as a daddy. And when you sit in my chair 
you don't leave my chair until I'm ready for you to come, until I'm ready for you to leave, until you look the way I want you to look, because I am the top when I boot black. I am boot black daddy. So I'm definitely turned on right now. <laughs> um, yeah. And I don't know how to move on to my next <laughs> question because I need to focus on my erection that I'm getting but <laughs> but um, one of the things I love what you said there and also you're a fantastic storyteller get a podcast um, uh, one of the things you were talking about was illegality and I was thinking about as you were talking about all the things embedding the rules and all that stuff and all the illegality of being queer and being sexualized and all that stuff really also connected to disability because in many places being openly proud of disability, while it's not, well, it may not be illegal, there's still a big, big taboo around it. Yeah, there's a huge taboo around it in a way that there's not a taboo around other things. But like the legal, I think the legal stuff is really important for us to understand. We have to understand that I started having sex with men when it was illegal. It was illegal. You know that we have been in Afghanistan as Americans, I should say. We America's been in Afghanistan longer than it has been legal for two gay people to have sex in America. Wow. The Supreme Court decision that legalized sodomy didn't happen until 2002. We've been in Afghanistan longer than it's been legal for two consensual men to fuck each other. Now let's throw on top of that the kinky shit that we do. Two consensual men to not only fuck each other, but beat each other up while they do it for two consensual men or more, four, six, eight, 20 men in a room having sex was illegal when I started doing it. And that means that the way that we learn is different. Um, and these organizations that we're a part of are, are traditionally underground. You know, I'm a member of the 15 Association in San Francisco, which is a men's play organization. We're, I mean, we do raise money for charities, we do all the cool stuff, but we are there to throw parties and fuck each other. That's why we're there. And the men who started the 15 did so in an environment where it was illegal, where if they got caught going on their runs, they would be thrown in jail, beaten, they would lose their jobs, their names would be printed in the papers. And that kind of thing happened in my lifetime, which is weird to think because I'm not even 40 yet. And it not only happened in my lifetime, it happened in my sexual lifetime. I was in the army under Don't Ask, Don't Tell before it was legal for me to have sex with another man. Wow. Wow. Um, I can't even, I can't even fathom that. That's, that's, wow. Um, uh, so much to unpack there. <laughs> but I don't know how to do that. In the, in yeah, sorry. I also don't know if I'm actually answering questions because I tend to just kind of ramble a little no, bit. No, but I, this ra the rambling is kind of awesome because it's so yeah. it's, like, it's really cogent. So I'm sitting there like the oh, whole, good. Like, I'm glad to hear that. It's not always. Me, <laughs> the whole podcast is me listening to you being like, I, <laughs> I don't know what to say yeah. now. When, when I talk to my husband, we refer to it as popcorn brain because I, I actually have a spectacular memory, but I have terrible recall. And the more that I try to recall something, the less likely I am to actually recall it. But if you just let me talk in stream of consciousness, the weird detail things that I end up remembering is astounding. Yeah. And we just call it popcorn brain because it's like uh, if you're at the movie theater and the popcorn popper is popping, 
it'd be really hard to reach in there and say, oh, I want that particular kernel of popcorn. But if you just embrace that and you reach in and just grab a handful of them, you're going to get lots of popcorn. And that's kind of how my memory is. The more that I try and focus on getting the exact kernel that I want to get to, the least likely I'm going to. But if I just reach my hand and let myself talk, I'm going to come out with some really kernels of awesomeness, you know, and stuff that I'll remember or talk about. So well, it's, we call it popcorn brain in the house. I'm so pretty sure. I tend to interrupt people and I'm just like, popcorn brain. And then I say what I got to say. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I just uh, decided the title of this episode is going to be kernels of awesomeness because uh, <laughs> it's very true. Um, yeah. So tell me about the response from the leather community about your disability and having disabilities. How have they have they warmed to that? Is it a place where you feel so? Like- I let me talk for a second, if I can, and before I answer that, get into what I think is the leather community because people throw that term around, and I don't know that it means anything. And here's why: is because. Most people, when they talk about the leather community, they're not talking about people who have kinky sex. They're not talking about people who wear leather. They tend to be talking about the organized leather community or the pageant part of the leather community, the titles, which, trust me, I loved running for titles. I love going to titles. I love the pageantry of it. I laugh, I cry, and it's, but it's really no different than any other beauty pageant. It's just a, a, a very kinky beauty pageant, right? So I do love that aspect. But that's generally what people are talking about. The vast majority of leather folk aren't going to competitions. In fact, even if you look at the people who go to IML, IML gets roughly 20,000 men each year. And it's, let's be honest, it's vast majority gay men, right? Less than 1,500 go to the actual contest of International Mr. Leather. So the public side of what is the leather community is much smaller than what actually is leather. So I, I, I wanted to kind of mention that because when we think of the leather community, we tend to think of the organized part of it, the leather clubs, the leather bars, and the, the pageantry of the leather title system. But that's that that's just the what you see above the, the sea level of the iceberg of leather, right? The vast majority of it happens in people's apartments. The cruising that happens at bars is very much more is much quieter. You never see that. And so when we talk then about how the community has embraced or not embraced my disability, I want to separate those two out because it's two different things. In the vast majority of leather spaces and the leather, you know, folks and kinky people, they are awesome about it, right? Um, they, I, I never had anyone stop playing with me because I had a disability issue, whether that was, Hey, I have to stop this act because something is happening with my body or, um, or I have to leave this place now because it just got overwhelming and I can't sit here anymore. And so, uh, I've never gotten anything bad from that. Then there's the organized leather community, uh, which hasn't always been, that right um and especially in in some of the facts that like hey some people in the leather community are still hella conservative right and so what i told you before about me having websites out there dedicated to hating me um some people have decided to pick those up and spread rumors that i'm not really a veteran or all the other stuff that the weird right-wing websites say about me 
And I've definitely had to deal with that. And I think it hurts more when it comes from queer leather folk because I feel like they should know better than going to right-wing websites for propaganda. And I forget that just because somebody's kinky doesn't mean that they have good politics. Yeah. And then the other part of it that I think has been not so great is, um, so I think we're all familiar with the term woke and people being woke, right? Um, As in having, you know, politics of people that are quote unquote awake. But I think what's happened now in a lot of the organized parts of the leather community is people aren't woke, they're just caffeinated. And this isn't an original term by me, it's something I've heard from like 20 people in the last like six months. Uh, but it really resonates and I don't, I wish I could tell you who originated that term, but I don't know. Um, but like people are just caffeinated now, right? They, and there's a difference between being awake and seeing things and seeing the world for how it is and being caffeinated, right? And the people I think who are caffeinated are lashing out at, at, uh, at people who we're on the same team here. I'm not even talking about allies. I mean, we're on the same team. We're fighting for the exact same thing and you're lashing out at me, um, because I don't necessarily agree with every single thing you say. And so uh, I think that there's this part of the leather community right now that's super caffeinated and that I, I, I don't deal well with some of those folks. And the problem with them and my disability is that the caffeinated folks want to put their oppression above all other oppression. And so when I say, you know, yes, I have tons of privilege as a cis white man, but I'm still a queer man in this community that's never in, in this country that has never elected a uh, a queer man to the United States Senate, right? Um, I'm still a person with a disability in a world that a lot of leather bars don't have ramps, yeah, right, or they have stairs, and so there's levels to this shit, and the caffeinated folks out there seem to not see the levels to it in my opinion and uh so but the vast majority of my experience in the leather community has been super great um you know people being really understanding have taken care of me when i couldn't take care of myself i remember living in san francisco and going through a time period where i couldn't get out of bed for multiple weeks at a time and people brought me meals and there were no strings attached to it. It wasn't just because I'm good looking and somebody wanted to fuck me. I mean, they might have, and hopefully they did. I mean, look, I would that bring, wasn't look. why they provided me the meals, right? They provided it to me because they saw me in that moment as a human being. I would bring you meals, whether or not we we're gonna fuck. But I appreciate that. I would hope we would. Not a lie. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, but I think that. You know, when you see somebody who's in so much pain, they literally can't roll over and take a sip of water, yeah. which is where I am some days, where I can't even drink water on my own. Um, and if I let you come into my life when I'm that vulnerable, you've earned a place. Exactly. You know, I don't. This is what people. I don't, don't let most people see that. Yeah. And then, and then they see me on the stage at like IML. And I caught shit at IML. I purposely, every time I got a chance, I used my cane. The only time I didn't use my cane on stage at IML was when I had to interact with a microphone because that's my the same hand I used for the cane as the hand I would use for the microphone. And I didn't want to you know, be the person who dropped one of the two of them. But I caught shit from certain people 
because why didn't you use a cane all the time? You must not really be disabled then if you don't need the cane all the time. Really? Come on. And, but the reality is like, if, if I let you see that, that me being that vulnerable, I'm, I'm giving you a piece of me. I'm opening up. I'm trusting you with a part of me that, um, that I don't trust everybody with. My husband has seen me in every state imaginable. He has helped me off the toilet. He has, uh, he has wiped my ass when I wasn't capable of it. He has showered me when I wasn't capable of it. And I guarantee you that, that, that there's no other human alive who's ever seen me in those states, but he has earned that level of trust because he is that amazing man that I married. And there's a reason why I put a ring on it. <laughs> um, just to go back on a couple of things you said there, cause I was agreeing with everything you said and I had some feelings. Um, I love that you talk about letting people into that experience because it's something I don't do very often. And when I do, it means I give a shit about you. I yeah. had somebody recently, a few weeks ago, a friend of mine um, came from, California and they're they're a porn star and they do they do adult films and you know we, we were meeting for the first time and hanging out a little bit and he stayed with me for a day or so and he did some of my care and I said you know I don't let I don't let people do this a lot this is not something that I that I let random dudes just do for me so I hope you know that it's like it's terrifying to me that I'm doing this with you right now but also it's a big deal yeah yeah, and I think that a lot of people without disabilities don't understand how vulnerable we are out there sometimes in the world, right? And like how that I put up a lot of walls to make sure that the world in which I walk around in with that many vulnerabilities can't hurt me. And when I let those walls down, I let you inside of there to where the the, the vulnerability is, that that's me trusting you. Yeah. Like, somebody giving you a shower or wiping your ass is more intimate than us fucking. Yeah. I tell you right now, I have sucked more dicks than I could possibly remember. I know every single person who's bathed me. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. I totally... I I feel that so hard. So when you said that, I was like, I gotta gotta speak to that because I've I've been there with you. Um, And thank you so much for bringing that up. Uh... Something else you said that I can't remember what we were talking about before that. So I'm just going to move right along to the next thing. Tell me about how becoming disabled has impacted your sexuality. You talked earlier about how before you before you went to war, you were like, you know, you had this, the abs, you had the, the yeah. cis white male body that we all think the, that army people have. So how has becoming kind of a husband <laughs> affected your... Both. I think the, I think the biggest thing, or let me fin- yeah, let me fin- let you finish your question. I'll yeah, that's okay. Um, how has how has becoming disabled impacted your sexuality, your sense of self, your sense of masculinity, all that stuff? Yeah, I think it it's been the best thing that's ever happened in my sex life, because part of my disability that was so awesome. I need you to repeat that. Just so yeah, <laughs> being being a person with disabilities has been the best thing that ever happened in my sex life. It made me a better lover in every way, shape, or form because before that, my dick worked. The factory-installed penis that I have carried around with me since birth worked amazing. It always got hard. It could fuck for days. It was great, right? Now, I don't have a lot of feeling in that area. My dick doesn't get hard very often at all if it ever does for someone. And so I have had to rethink what is pleasure, 
right? I had to think about what is fucking? What does it mean to fuck if I can't use the factory installed dick? And now what I say to people is, if that's what you're interested in, I feel bad for you because it's the least interesting thing about me. You know, I got a very average dick, and if you need to be filled up, I'd much rather use one of these two fists right here, and that's going to be way more filling than my factory-installed cock ever is. And then I've also got a whole drawer of aftermarket dicks upstairs. So if if the one that I'm carrying isn't the shape that you like, cool, I got one that is. If you like one that vibrates, got one that does that. If you got like something that's smaller than my pinky, I got some of those. Right. If you need something so powerful, it sounds like a Harley riding down the street. I got the old school Hitachi that plugs in, you know, and what has it is being disabled has made me so much better of a lover. You know, my my jaw, I have uh, TMJ, so I can't go down on somebody for very long. But you know what I can do? I can uh, I can go down on you for a little bit. I can involve some spit in that I can. I can take the Hitachi and, and get it in there. I can, uh, I get a sleeve out if I need to. I have, it has made me use my creativity as a lover and therefore I'm a better lover. And then also I stopped chasing orgasms. I've detached not only my set, my, my dick from sex, but also my orgasms. And sometimes, you know what? Neither of us are going to get to an orgasm or or none of us, if there's a lot of us, are going to get to an orgasm. That's cool. But if you want to get to an orgasm, let's talk about how to do that and get you there. But orgasm, a lot of times for me, is no longer the end goal of sex. Yeah. Sometimes it's the beginning of the sex act. My husband, uh, there's there, there's now video confirmation of this. I made him on stage. Uh, we were raising money for some charity. And on stage while raising money, I made him come in 16.7 seconds. Because in our play at home, a lot of times I like to do forced orgasm with him. So I make him come not once, but 30 times to the point where it's my sadism kicking in and he's it's painful for him to come again. But I don't care. We're going to come a few more times, right? So sometimes orgasm isn't the goal of the sex. It's where sex starts for me. And then other times it's never even on the menu of things that we're going we're gonna to do together. And because... Uh, my disability has made me more creative. It has made me have to communicate more with the the lovers that I have and talk to them about what is pleasurable for you. What do you like? In a way that back in my early 20s, I hooked up with some dude. It was dick sucking. It was fucking. We were out. I hooked up with some, you know, uh, a person with a vagina. Same thing. It didn't matter. It was all about how can I get my dick wet. And now when I use the term, get my dick wet, it's much more metaphorical because it's like, well, what, what can we do? You want to do some fisting? All right. I got big old toaster oven gloves on, you know, what do you want to do? We can do that. And what that person, so my husband likes really thuddy stuff, but can't do stingy. I got other bottoms that I play with that want to be whipped bloody because they like the stingy. And I never probably would have gone to all those different places if my dick still worked. Because hooking up for me would have been the same blowjobs and fucking. So, listening to all that gave me so many feelings. <laughs> one of which is the, the uh, I, I'm having so many emotional boners right now for everything you just said. Um, and I say emotional boners because I'm not hard, but I'm like, I want to get to know this person better. Also, right. um, also like, 
I think it's just so it's just so empowering and important to hear what you just said about how orgasms are not the end goal of sex and it should like I'm really excited that it that disability has brought that to you. Um, yeah, I wish that like the sex education I got as a disabled person, I wish I would have got that as a you know 11, 12 year old boy who was learning how to fuck by just doing it with other people, right? And like the sex education that I've gotten now as a kinkster and as a disabled person is. Uh, it's mind blowing, especially in comparison to the lack of anything I got as a kid. That's that's like th- this episode is hands down. I've been doing this show for three years now. This episode is one, one of, like hands down one of my favorite ones. Just oh, thank you. Based on that last five minutes, like <laughs> holy shit. Um, so uh, I want you to I want you to tell me what is what. What is one thing you love about your disability? I think it's what I just said and that it made me more creative. It made me have to, uh, if I wasn't, if I was going to keep living and I mean living, like having a life, um, I, I contemplated suicide. I attempted suicide on three separate occasions and I came really close to ending my own life. And, in dealing with that, in working through that, I really like the person that I became. And I wouldn't be this person today if it weren't for those disabilities. I think, I think I'm think i a genuinely good person. I make mistakes, I'm not always a good person, but I think at heart I'm a good person. I try to pre- treat people with kindness and I don't think that would have ever happened if I wasn't disabled. If I look at the way my life was going before the war, I. I was not kind to people. And then when I got back from the war, it took me a long time. And first I had to learn to be kind to myself. And because of that, I've learned to be kind to other people. And it's still a learning process. I'm still short tempered with people way more than I want to be. But each time I do it, I see it. And I'm like, okay, that's where, okay. So here's where I took the hook. I need to see that hook and not take it and just keep going. And the more that I go along with that process and the more that I lean into that process, the better of a person that I'm becoming. And that I don't, I honestly do not think that growth would have happened had I had the same body I had at a 21 year old, you know? What would you say to any, uh, any queer disabled or any queer veterans who came, who, who come back from the war and encounter disability. Would you give them any? Do you have any advice for them? Uh, yeah, the biggest thing would be to play with yourself. Figure out what you like now, right? Because your body is really different now, and your mind is really different now. And spend some time playing with yourself, right? Like masturbation is the greatest thing that we have on this planet, right? It allows me to just give myself pleasure. Well. What does that look like now? If my dick isn't the center point for my pleasure, what is? What can I explore my prostate? Maybe my nipples all of a sudden uh, are I'm more interested in because I have feeling there. Um, do I like to be scratched? Do I like to be bit? Do I like to bite or to scratch? Uh, figure out where your 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 pleasure is coming from now, and then learn as much as you can about that, and get with people who want to experience that pleasure with you, 
right? Instead of getting with someone who just because they think you're hot or they think your dick is great or whatever, getting with people that um, that are that get off the way that you get off or or get off uh, or want to help you get off the way that you get off. Right. To me, you will find so much more pleasure in that than just chasing the things that society has taught you are attractive, right? Just chasing the big ass, the great tits, the big dick, you know, the things that we get taught by society are what we should be striving for in our sex. Find the things that you actually find pleasurable and strive for that, right? If, you, if it, and whatever that is, right? There's kinks out there that are not my kinks, but you know what? If that's what you find pleasure and you find other consenting adults to have that pleasure with, that is the essence of life right there. Just in that finding of pleasure, we are meant to find pleasure in this world. This world isn't about just going to work for 40 hours a week and then coming home and uh, and watching sports and drinking beer, not sh- shading those who do, but like that's what society tells us we should do every every day but really it's we're not meant to just work and pay bills we should be finding pleasure in life life is about pleasure when it comes down to it and that is what the sexual outlaws need to be teaching the rest of the world that is what leather folks need to show the rest of the world that the thing that we have figured out especially gay and queer leather folks the thing we have figured out is how to maximize the pleasure in a really fucking hard life and a hard world that is out there to break you when you find those moments of pleasure that is what life is about and focusing on that and focusing on people that want to bring more of that pleasure around your life will bring you more joy than than uh than anything that i could possibly understand amazing um so lastly jeff i could talk to you forever because you're amazing and when we're done when i'm done hitting record i'm gonna keep talking to you because holy wow but um (laughs) what is one thing you want the listeners to know about you and your disability before you go uh i don't really know if it's one thing um it can be i think like the the biggest thing is like is that kindness right like know that in my worst moments i do not look kind but i'm trying right um there people have seen me punch walls and that anger that they see you know what actually yeah this is the thing that i want people to know about people with ptsd especially combat vets with ptsd a lot of times people see us as violent and what they don't understand is that the vast majority of veterans with ptsd are not outwardly violent we are internally violent we self-harm people with ptsd especially combat veterans with ptsd especially combat veterans with ptsd and tbi we self-harm but instead of going into our bedrooms alone or into the bathroom and taking a razor blade and cutting the inside of our thighs we punch walls i don't punch a wall because i want to make someone else afraid of me i'm punching a wall because it breaks my own hand it is self harm and the moments that people see me as angry there's probably less anger there than you understand and way more self uh the 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 will to self-harm and that is why veterans commit suicide at so much more uh so much higher of a rate than than non-veterans do that is what the struggle for for me personally looks like with ptsd 
to outsiders, they see anger and internally what's happening is fear and, and self-harm. And if I, I wish that other folks could see some of the things that they see as violence in me and understand that that is really self-harm. Wow. That was that. And, and thank you for sharing that because I, you know what, I would never have understood that until you said it the way you said it. So I appreciate that. My um, pleasure. This was great, Jeff. And I, I want to, like I said, I want to keep in touch and talk to you more because this is really important. How do people who are listening, if they want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, I have a Facebook fan page. It's Boot Black Daddy Jeff Millard. Uh, and that's G E O F F M I L L A R D. And if you really want to follow me on Twitter, you can, understanding that that is my screaming into the wind. Uh, that is at Jeff Millard. That's at G-E-O-F-F-M-I-L-L-A-R-D. I don't have any other social media than that because that saturates me just fine. Uh, I don't accept friend requests on, on Facebook uh, generally because I, I curate that to be a very certain experience. So, um, But yeah, I mean, if you see me at a leather event, feel free to come up and talk to me. I'm extremely approachable, although uh, I tend not to approach other people because A, I'm actually an introvert which most people don't realize and be uh um crowds bother me so i tend to be uh but if you go to a leather event and you're looking for me check the boot black stands if i'm not working i'm generally just hanging out with other boot blacks all right this is a really important interview thank you jeff so much and we will talk in a second after i press off thanks jeff <laughs> my pleasure bye that episode with Jeff was amazing, and I was really, really proud to do it, and thank you for listening to that. Um, I also want to give a shout-out. There have been some people on my social media in the last few weeks that have sent me messages on DM or in email saying how important the show is to them and saying that when they listen to my show that it makes them feel less alone and it makes them feel like they have community. And that stuff, I get all those things, and I read them personally, and I see all of that and thank you so much for feeling like this show that I record from my bedroom gives you a place where you can land and feel safe to be as disabled as you need to be and that means the world to me and that's why I do this show and whenever I feel discouraged about the next topic or what I'm going to do to make it awesome for you I get DMs or things like that and it means so much to me and thank you so much and if, whatever I can do as the host of this show I feel a responsibility to you my audience to give you content that makes you think but content that also makes you feel as disabled people that you feel like you have somewhere that is yours and so if you if there's something you want me to work on and things you want me to do to make the show more of that space for you let me know you can email the show disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and send me your suggestions, and I will do my best to incorporate that into future episodes. But I wanted to thank all of you for listening, and I promise you, when you listen to my little show, you're never alone. And I hope that I can shine a bright light on you and make you feel warm and comfy, cozy, and crippled whenever you listen to me. So thank you. It means a lot, and I really, truly, from the bottom of my crippled heart, appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week. Bye. All right, friends. That's another episode of Disability After Dark. 
the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. My name is, of course, Andrew Gerza, and thank you so much for listening and helping the show go. I really appreciate that you all listen and that you come back every week, and I love doing it, and I love shining a bright light on these topics, so thank you. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com where you'll find my writings, some cool videos I've been in, and you'll see where I've been talking where I've been doing talks, and if you want to hire me to talk, you can do so there as well. If you want to follow me on the social media, you can put in all my handles on Insta, Twitter, and Facebook at TheAndrewGerza. If you want to follow the podcast specifically, you can follow us on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod, or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DisabilityAfterDark. This show is a completely independent production. I literally record the show here in my bedroom in Toronto, and that's awesome. So if you want to support this fully independent program, you can head over to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, and you can pledge $1 a month to get the show early and get really cool perks like that, and I, I will give you a shout out on the air, and thank you for your support. It would be super awesome if you could also leave a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast so that this show, all about sexuality and disability, something we don't talk about enough, can get more traction and more people can hear about the show. Lastly, if you want to be a part of Disability After Dark, you can submit your suggestions, story ideas, or your minisodes to our email inbox, disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time right here on the program Shining a Bright Light on Sex and Disability, Disability After Dark. New episodes of Disability After Dark will be available every Thursday on your favorite podcast app. Also available to Patreon subscribers one day early on every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2019